All right, everybody, welcome to today's Seven Figures Club podcast. Today, we have an amazing entrepreneur who has lived an epic life. Very excited to introduce you guys to Trevor G. Blake. Now, Trevor has done uh, a lot of things in his life. He's uh, written numerous screenplays. Uh, at school, he became a serial entrepreneur by buying candy in bulk, selling it to kids on the school bus. So he was a young entrepreneur. We're going to talk about that. Uh, in his early adult life, all he wanted to do was travel. So he used the very tools and techniques that you'll discover uh, throughout this podcast episode of how to have an amazing lifestyle of luxury travel through 56 countries. That's about half of the countries in the world, by the way. And uh, also, a few years later, he actually sold this business for $105 million. He has a unique business model. And I know our audience is a lot of startups, a lot of side hustlers. So if you were looking for real uh, actionable uh, items and things that you can do to build your startup, you're in the right place with Trevor G. Blake. Trevor, welcome to the show. There are over 32 million businesses in the U.S. and over 90% of them will never break seven figures in annual sales. So how do we as entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs break into that seven figures club? This podcast will relentlessly share the secrets, strategies, and tactics I've used to create three multi-seven figures businesses and bring in even more successful entrepreneurs than me to share their inspirational stories and tactics to success. You can create your dream business in life right now. So buckle up and let's go. Thank you, Leo. Looking forward to it. Let's dive in. Okay, perfect, Trevor. Well, you've got uh, an amazing uh, life of life experience here as an entrepreneur, and uh, let's start, if we could, a little bit, uh, you know, with your upbringing. We always like to find out what is it that kind of led you to entrepreneurship, and what was your upbringing like, and and the way you were raised with values and principles that you feel kind of led you down that path to entrepreneurship. Well, I think like most entrepreneurs I know, and I, I consider myself in the same category as, as, as these entrepreneurs, you know, we don't set out to be one, especially as a kid. So, so typically we find, we find an issue. We try to find a solution. There isn't one. So we do it ourselves. And we end up being entrepreneurs by default. So that's been the story of my life pretty much. So I grew up uh, poor. My father was unemployed and unemployable. Um, we lived on welfare. My mother was dying of cancer. So I didn't have an allowance, so I couldn't afford candy. So that's why I started the first, the first company, really. I, you, know, mother, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. So uh, I had a, it was a five-mile and, and an excruciating hour-long bus drive to school and back from school. And at one of the stops was a candy store. So no one would get off the bus because we were afraid the bus would go without them. The bus driver, it was always the same driver in the same bus. And he was not a pretty, not a very nice character. Couldn't stand children, which is a strange job for somebody who <laughs> be a bus driver when you can't stand children. But um, so I decided I'll do it. I'll take it on. So I, I, I encouraged everybody to give me the money, the pocket change and a list of candy that they wanted. I jumped off. The, the staff in the shop got to know me and were ready for me after a period of time, after I did this you know, for several days. And then I'd come back on the bus and my, my uh, commission was candy because I couldn't afford my own, my own candy. So that's kind of how I, I started. And, you know, I realized very early on that people are willing to, to pay for convenience and service. And so it's, I thought it was stuck in my head. I went on to do several other uh, small businesses when I was a teenager. Um, but like you said in the introduction, you know, when you, when you're poor, you don't get holidays, you don't get vacations, you don't, you don't get to see another country or fly on a plane or go on a ship or anything like that. I hadn't done any of that. And so that was always a passion of mine. So, and, and of my wife too, who also grew up very poor in England. And so for the first part of my life and my adult life, that's all we did. We, we, we traveled in a very, you know, I had great jobs earning 300,000 a year. So that's nice level of travel around the world. Um, 
And then when I turned 40, I just decided that there was something that really irritated me inside the company that I worked for. And I did what I say you should do, which is go and fix it. So I started my first company when I was 43. Um, that's the one I started with $200 and sold for 105.5. And only at that point did I think I was I had the credibility to write my first book, which was basically how did I discover these three attitudes or techniques or processes that I've applied to my life up to that point in time. And that's what I, that was my first book called Three Simple Steps. And it tells the story of my journey, well, a journey from, uh, from uh, uh, poverty or quicksand, as I call it, to a successful entrepreneur. Only then did I think I had the authenticity to speak about it because I'm not a fan of many self-help gurus whose only success is the fact they wrote a book and it caught on somehow. Um, so after, so I, I built a, a kind of unique business model in 2003 and I've just repeated it. So I'm actually on my seventh company now. So it's not seven out of 20. I don't believe that you have to fail to be successful like many people do. It's seven out of seven. And like you say, you know, the four I've sold so far um, are all for nine figures. Outstanding. So so was the first business that you started kind of uh, as an adult, that was when you were 43? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Most people right. are surprised. By it. You know, the average age of a first time, you, well, you, you probably know better than I do. It's pretty high. It's, it's been going down slowly over the years, but it's still around 40 for a first time entrepreneur, first time startup. The average age of a first time self-made billionaire is still 63. So there's plenty of time for everybody. And, and I think that's so important for people to realize because yeah. a lot of the times they see the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world and, and some of these other successful entrepreneurs that did get started really young and, and had some uh, fortunate uh, events and so forth. But you're absolutely right. Uh, our, our job is to provide you know funding and, and help startups uh, get rolling. And, and no question, I think the average is uh, we're seeing ranges from 35 to 55 is where most of these entrepreneurs are. And I think there's a reason for that. There's some experience. There's uh, some understanding of, of people and sales and marketing and then identifying that problem. So for you, you are obviously a successful business professional uh, for a number of years. You're making great money. Uh, you and your wife are traveling the world. What was it? Uh, what was the problem that you identified that there really was no solution for? And then how did you take action to start that uh, that solution and that idea? Well, well, the idea was inside a company. It was a pharmaceutical company, and and uh, we had a solution to a rare disease in children, but it sat on the shelf. And the reason it sat on the shelf is because it would have been very in, in the traditional model. It would have been very expensive to get it off the shelf and educate the specialists who could look out for this disease when there's only like 200 patients in the world. So that, so I proposed maybe in, in my life in that company, I proposed probably six different business plans to try and get this thing off the shelf. And I was pushed back every time. I understood the reasons. I wasn't bitter about it. I mean, the shareholders would have gone crazy because all they could see is dollars going out. You know, they, right. they wouldn't have understood the business plan. And, um, and so how did I get started? I had a blazing stand-up row with the CEO <laughs> and I, you never win those things. So I was given really no choice. I knew, okay, my time is done here, but, I, but we're still friends. And, um, and so eventually I persuaded him to sell me the rights to that product. And I needed to think of a different way of, of, of building a pharmaceutical business that's never been done before. So instead of hiring employees, I've never hired an employee in all of my companies. Um, I used a hub model, model of alliances, where we have, you know, you have vendors and contractors who are specialist yeah. functions. And, and so that allowed me to just focus on growth and not spend all my time in a meeting room with that corporate nonsense that I've been, that I've been brought up on, really. Um, so that's really how I got started. I just decided to fix it. I didn't know what I was doing. I was totally unqualified. Um, but I think that's true of most successful entrepreneurs. We just figure it out. 
No question. So you've identified this problem. There's there's a potential solution for, did you say children with a rare disease? Yes, it's children who are born without a particular enzyme. And so they're not yeah. able to convert complex, complex sugar to simple sugar. So, so okay. they, you know, they die basically. And, and wow. you know, it's hard to go to sleep at night knowing that you, you know you can save those babies, yeah. all of, like, even though you don't know where they are, but they're in the world somewhere. Um, and, and so it, I figured it out. I mean, basically, you know, I, 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 I'm a great, so my website, trevorgblake.com, one of our taglines is where science, spirit, and entrepreneurship meet. And so I'm a, I, I spend a lot of time meditating where I get most of my best ideas. I spend a lot of time walking in nature. I get a lot of aha moments. Yeah. So I just did a lot of that. And so, you know, I'd, I'd wake up at like five in the morning with this thing in my head. I'd go meditate, then go for a walk. And I started to figure it out just like that. Or it so tell, me, I guess. <laughs> beautiful. T tell us a little bit about the risks, right? So you're, you are trying to be, and, and a lot of people don't know, hey, there's a lot of opportunities as an entrepreneur within the company. And you probably had done some projects and seen some success and commissions and growth there. But at some point, you know, you had to become the entrepreneur. And so what were the risks? Like you're actually taking money out of your pocket and buying you know, the rights to this, uh, this medical solution, this pharmaceutical uh, drug. And so how much did you have to risk? And then you, you had to basically walk away from the company. And so now your income stops. And so how much, uh, how, how did you, I guess, get the courage to take those risks, knowing the business and that there's no guarantees? I was, I was blessed to be married to someone who's, who's an incredibly strong feminine spirit. Yes. And, uh, I remember, I remember when I had the idea, I remember I was flying home from Minneapolis and I, was, I had this great plan of how I can talk my wife into coming on this journey with me. And, and I planned it all out, exactly what I'm going to say over dinner. Take her out, I, I arrive home, take her out for dinner, honest with And as soon as I walked through the door, she said, we're selling the house, aren't we? And I said, what do you mean? And she said, I can tell. I just, I can feel it. And wow. she had this amazing <laughs> intuition. And I, so I, I just went, it just went, blah, 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 and it all came out. And she said, right, okay, fine, let's do it. So we sold the house and we had some equity, not a lot, uh, probably about 150,000, but that gave me, yeah. that bought me time. Yeah. I got a bit of a severance from the company, not a lot, but again, that's, you know, put together, it probably gave me like nine yeah. months to go to investors and say, look, I've got this great idea. And the nine months passed like that and I ran out of money pretty much. And, um, and then, and then one day I just realized, you know what, they don't believe I can do this, so I'm going to have to prove it to them. And I think ever since then, I've realized that was one of the lessons that, you know, investors really like to see a proof of concept. Mm. Once you can prove that you can do this, then that's, we're all in at that point. You, you probably ask for that all the time from your, from your clients, like, you know, show us that you can do it. And so I've, I found the rights to another product I could get for free. And with what little I had left, it was very small. It only did like 100,000 in business a year. I got it up to 450,000 in about three months using this new business model. I went back to the same investors that had politely rejected me. And I said, look, I've proved it. Now will you come in with me? And, and that's kind of how it worked out. Trevor, from 100,000 to 400,000 in three months? Yeah, yeah, because the business model was, it's something that, you know, the pharmaceutical industry is so antiquated. Yeah. It's, it's business structure. It's very hierarchical, even, you know, yeah. today. Um, it's not very profitable. You know, I was able to get profits of 76%. You know, I didn't have executives earning like I had earned in the business 300,000 a year with a fancy car and a big expense account and all that kind of, all that kind of stuff. You know, I was basically, it's, it's me and the business. And I didn't so take me for a long time. Wow. So th there's a lot to unpack there. Let, let's unpack this. So you're in the startup phase and you're trying to raise capital. You basically run out of all the savings and the money from selling your house 
Now you're in a really tight cash crunch. You've got a lot of stress, a lot of pressure, and you realize, and this is super important, everybody, so pay attention to this. If you've ever watched Shark Tank, Damon John always talks a lot about this proof of concept is what Trevor said. And that's what everybody wants to see. It's no longer, tell me about your theoretical idea that might work. I need to see proof and evidence that this business model, that your product or service does work on a small scale. And if you can prove that to me, now I can feel confident putting my dollars behind you. And it sounds like that's what you did. And you went and you found a company that you could uh, implement the business model with and to grow from 100 to 400,000 in three months. That is remarkable. Um, without going into too many of the details and any of your secret sauce, what would you attribute that you talked about, you know, the archaic uh, way that they approached a business, a lot of these pharmaceuticals, but if you had to break it down into just a couple simple steps, how would you, you know, explain that massive growth? That's amazing. Well, because I took all the overhead away. So, so the company that had that product and didn't want it anymore because it was more trouble than it was worth. The, the, even the manufacturing one was, was, was more than the revenue they were, they were getting. You know, they had three or four people whose job it was to oversee that project. Each of one who is earning, you know, the pharmaceutical business is, is pretty well paid. People don't like, you know, it's, it's a cushy job. And so they're earning hundreds of thousands. And, I, you know, all you have to do is peel that away. And so it gave me a little bit of freedom to think, okay, I've got like $50,000 left. What am I going to do with this $50,000? So I segmented the market into an, an event and in my, on a piece of paper and in my head and by going out and actually talking to potential customers. And I would, you know, I was, I suddenly realized that they had been targeting the wrong people. And so the customers, customers would say to me, and they've been doing it from their office, you know, they've been buying all this data and all this, but never actually getting out and talking to people. So, so I, I, I kind of, I go to the customer set that I thought was the real customer and they'd say, no, it's not us. It's those people over there. And so I go to them and they would say, we didn't know the product existed. No one's told us. And so it was really quite easy. It was all about communication. So I call, I call it, um, you know, um, strategic market segmentation because investors yes. like fancy titles. And, um, and that's really what it was. We did, so I, I targeted it down and then funneled it again and funneled it again, just like we do with digital marketing, right? Until, yes. until I got to the actual purchases. And then I realized that the whole, so I just turned to the right people and said, well, I've got the product. And I've got tons of it. <laughs> I'm going to throw it away in a couple of years. And and we just we negotiated prices, and it went from there. It was, it wasn't it wasn't um, you know you didn't didn't need a great brain to do that. It's just that I think the hierarchical structures people get stuck behind their desk so much and stuck yeah. in they, they forget there's a customer out there. Amen, Trevor. So it's identifying who's your dream client. What is that avatar? What do they look like? And what do they really need? So you you went and basically based on who they thought the customer was and the customer was like, no, it's, it's not us. We actually don't need that uh, product at this point. But you know what? Who does? These people over here. And then you could go and you, you, you spoke with them. You got outside of your comfort zone. And that's what happens. A lot of people get so comforter, comfortable. They don't go out and take action. It reminds me of the story of the founder of Samuel Adams, the, the beer brewing company, where he's doing everything but actually going out and getting the sales with his customer, figuring out who his customer is. He finally gets into some bars and starts to make some progress after that. And that's, that's the thing. When you're in the startup phase, you have to focus on sales and who is your dream client and, and what problem do they have and how can you solve it for them? And it sounds like you did that extremely well. So now you've got proof of concept. Now you go back to the investors and they're like, all right, Trevor, you've proven yourself. You know what you're talking about. You've got proof of concept. Here's the money. Now what? 
Well, then I just, I just repeated. I, I, I created a plug and play model. And so I got, I went back to the, my, my, uh, the CEO I'd had a row with and I said, I've got the money. I didn't actually have it, but I was pretty confident I, I would have it because I knew there was going to be a negotiation there. Unfortunately for me, the person who replaced me took an instant dislike to me. So I'm talking to the CEO and he says, yeah, we probably have a deal. And then he passes it on to this other guy whose name I'll keep secret, obviously. And, and he was really not a very good person. And so he, he eventually called me up and said, look, the board of directors are met and we're not going to do this deal. We're not going to, we're not going to give you the rights to this product. The rights were 2.1 million. We're not going to give you, even if you got the money, we're not going to do it. And I didn't believe it. My intuition, because I've been surrounded by amazing, my mother and my, my wife who had amazing intuition, I've learned tools and techniques, which I teach in, in at trevorgblake.com and in the courses and the books to deepen your intuition because we live in a world where we don't have time to call meetings and build teams anymore. Everything has to be really, really fast. So you've got to be confident in your intuition and make intuitive decisions. It didn't feel right. It felt like he's lying to me. I couldn't explain why I just felt it. And I, 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 I learned that they were going to San Francisco to a meeting in January, the JP Morgan conference, which is a classic healthcare conference every year. Um, it's a jungle. Uh, and I don't, I typically don't go there, but I thought, I'll, okay, I'll go there. So I flew, I was living in Seattle at the time and I flew to San Francisco with no plan, booked a hotel room and just wandered around. There's thousands of people in the pharma business, just wandering around looking for them. And, uh, and, and eventually, and I, the first day I couldn't find them. It was five o'clock. The place is shutting down. I went back to the hotel room. I lay on the bed and I thought, I'm giving up here. I don't, I'm not going to do that. I got back up. I'd already undressed to cool down, you know, so I put all my suit back on again. I walked back to the meeting, which was about, you know, 30 minute walk. It's now about six o'clock, six thirty at night. And I'm just walking around an empty hotel where the meeting had been during the day. And I hear voices in a room and I walk towards that room. The door opens and it's that team. It's my team from my previous employer. And, and uh, so the CEO, he comes out and he says, I thought we had a deal. And then I looked at the guy who was my replacement and he couldn't even keep eye contact with me. So I stepped across him. I shook the hand of my ex-CEO and I says, yes, we have a deal, but there's a time limit now because I offered to do this deal months ago. I want it to be done by the end of next week. And that was it. We got the deal done. Outstanding. <laughs> I, I think that intuition is so important. And for whatever reason, sometimes when you're younger, I know I would struggle with, you know, is my intuition on? Is it not? And at some point, you start to get really good at assessing what's true and what's not, and then taking action without any doubts. And, and that's what a remarkable story that, that, uh, and most people, maybe that doesn't happen. They, they stay in the hotel room, they give up, they don't keep going forward and they don't follow through and, and you've got to get a yes or a no. And, and just amazing that you push through that guy who was just being an obstacle, not even being honest about uh, the company's intentions and making it happen remarkable. So now, now you're off and running and you're building the organization. And, and something important you've mentioned uh, throughout our conversation here is you don't have to go out and hire these really expensive employees, especially at the beginning. You're better off with independent contractors who are much more performance-based and, and good at a certain thing and ends up being a lot more affordable. Um, was that a part of your strategy then as you started to build up the sales of the company or what What was the step to, now, now you've, you're raising capital, you got to put 2.1 up front to, to have the rights, right? And what's the process of growing this thing to a hundred million dollar company? It was six years is all it took. Okay. Um, so, you know, there were two things. There were the two things happening at the same time. One was yeah. I didn't have a lot of capital in order to hire people, but I, but also, you know, I'd, I'd had this career in the in in the business, 
And when I look back on my career, I'd spent 75% of my time sitting in a meeting room talking about anything but customer satisfaction or product improvement. It was all about keeping employees happy. And I'm sure most of your, your, your viewers and listeners know exactly what I'm talking about. And that's one of the main motivations to get out and start up, isn't it? It's like, say, I don't want, it, I don't want that corporate madness anymore. And, uh, and so I knew that I could, I could come up with a different business model where that's not part of the business model. And I could focus on growth and marketing, which is if I have a skill, maybe that's it. And talking to customers, you know, how, how, how brilliant and genius is that to actually talk to customers, you know, but it doesn't happen as much. The internet has kind of pushed this in a slightly different way. Um, and so that, that was one thing. The second thing is I also realized that, you know, in hiring people, you tend to hire according to the budget that you have. Most people start up, or not most people, but a lot of people start up, a lot, especially the startups that I get involved in. They come from the corporate world and, they, and they're used to saying, okay, I was a sales and marketing guy. I don't know anything about manufacturing. I don't know anything about regulatory. I don't know anything about you know, software um, engineering. So, so I'm going to hire ahead of this and ahead of that and ahead of that, just like you said. And before you know it, You've, you've, you've done several terrible things to yourself. One, that beautiful cash is gone. And secondly, you've created meeting chaos right from the very beginning. Because you, as a, even as a CEO, you're not going to sit there and just let everybody go and do their own thing, which is what you should do. What you're going to do is have an update meeting. You know, tell me what you're going to do this week. And then a, a meeting on a Friday. How did it go this week? And all of that nonsense. And, that, and, you, and you immediately go from focusing outside externally onto customers to this, what I call the internal whirlpool. So, so in one of my books, Seekers to a Successful Startup, I talk about the importance of starting the right way. It, the analogy I use is if you bought a new house, you wouldn't buy a full-time handyman or handywoman to to live in the spare bedroom just in case something went wrong but that's typically how startups start and and, it, and it's hard to get out of that and so if you start in the right way by saying okay right today i don't need a full-time this i don't need a full-time that i'm you know gray-haired enough having seen how all the functions work together to ride at, to, to to be able to sort of direct and overlook those functions that somebody else can provide for me on a on a you know a, a volume basis so, so today I need, I need a distribution guy three, de- three hours a week, and I need a manufacturing guy maybe twice a year. And so you purchase in that way, like you've said. It doesn't mean that that's always going to be the way. I th- and that's why I've exited so often, because I like this business model. I'm happy. It's, it's my style. It doesn't, suit, doesn't suit everybody. So you get to a point where it's no longer really cost effective, and so that's when I exit. So I exited the first one after about six years. Second one, I only took two years to get to that point where it's too big for me now. And it's not cost effective to do it that way. And, and, and really, it deserves to have full-time employees. But I think for the, whether the early period is months or a couple of years or six years, I, I think, you know, I try to encourage um, entrepreneurs, you know, sit back and just think, do you actually need to hire at this point in time? I'm curious at the beginning, as you're going through this process and, and you're looking at, okay, I've got some independent contractors that I hire out for temporary things that need to be done. And then you have some full-time uh, with some of those full-time people, is it important to get people who could do, you know, uh, several different things instead of just being, oh, this is someone who can only focus on this small aspect of the business that maybe you see in corporate America? Did you purposely go out and look for people who had the capacity to maybe do multiple things? And instead of hiring, you know, multiple people, you hire one person who can do a lot of things pretty well. I'm curious what uh, if you had any strategy like that. So my, my my imperative is is was not to get the best price, but get the best partner, so the best yes. vendor. And and what I found very early on was like I started off thinking, oh, um, 
I need this. And let's say it was manufacturing or something. And I don't really understand manufacturing. I know how it works, but I'm not a chemistry guy. So, so, so I'd get this and he was, he said, you know, we do a contract and he's already got contracts with the big companies. So I'm not going to waste time wordsmithing a contract that he's had an army of lawyers put together. I'm just all I'm going to do is change the name. <laughs> okay. So, so take Pfizer off and put, you know, my little company Qual Medical on or something like that. And, and so make it really easy for them because, because, if you make it hard at the beginning, they just don't want your business because it's not worth their time. So, so then I'm in the door and then this real expert. So the vendor's an expert in this business, right? They don't need to be supervised and they don't need me to tell them how to do their job. So they would come to me and they'd say, okay, we'll do it. We can do it this way at this price. And then they would ask me a question like, who's doing this function? I'd say, what function? And they'd say, and it would be like a subset of say manufacturing. I, I didn't know we needed anybody. I didn't know that had, we needed that. So they kind of helped me build the, the, the model because we'd have this like peer-to-peer conversation instead of supervisor to, to employee conversation. So peer-to-peer, they want this to work because they don't, they don't want to be in a position where they've taken me on and, and the contract, I can't afford to pay them. So I found the, the, the first like, I don't know, four or five vendors who, I, who are, have been in all my businesses now. Um, they, they, they saw what I was missing and what I was lacking. And they, they trusted me enough to see what I was trying to build. And they wanted to help build because it was a big impact, uh, you know, with, with helping people get well. Um, they wanted to be a part of it. They really helped me build out the hub model. I didn't have to sit down and build a full business plan and say, I need six of this and two of that and four of that. I just basically started and then realized how little I knew. And and that's a good thing. That's a good trait, I think, isn't it? For for most most entrepreneurs. Very good. Very good. <laughs> you know, recognize how little, how, how, how much you don't know. And, and then let them help you build it. And it's, it's just a lovely way of working because the trust is there, you know, and then yeah. you get a success and the first success, I made sure that I shared some of the profit of that first success with everybody who'd helped me get there. Next yes. business comes around, they couldn't, they couldn't wait to get involved in the next business because that was a nice payday for everybody. They wouldn't get that with their employer. So, no, so it's, much, it's, it's more fun, I think, working that way. So we're talking about uh, strategic partnerships, and, and in my business, it's 95% of our business is strategic partnerships and making deals work, and everybody has a win-win scenario. When you're looking at a strategic partnership, whether it's someone who's going to help with manufacturing or you know, marketing, sales, whatever that uh, is, what do you look for in, in identifying, okay, this is a strategic partner who I can work with, and, and how do you kind of identify and know that that's someone or a group that you want to work with? Well, I think first of all, they have to reflect my my own culture because it wouldn't yes. be fun working with them otherwise. So, so you know, the mantra for all of my companies has been the same: make a positive impact in people's lives, have fun doing it, and share in all the rewards, material or otherwise, that come naturally as a result of setting that energy into flow. It's a lot of words, but it's, it kind of summarizes the way I, I, you know, I think building companies is magic. I don't see the difference between real magic and and you know, or art or music. You know, with art, you see a blank canvas and you fill it with with a, with a business you have a winning idea and you convert it into its material equivalent and, and it's just convert it's, magic is the conversion of one form of energy into another so so i look for people who think the same way because that then makes it easier i don't have to teach that or coach that but then it comes down again to the same big thing you know 80 percent of the decision is purely intuitive and i'm i've you know i've, I've learned enough at the knee of my mother and my wife to develop tools and techniques that can help me you know, have a, have a much better intuition than I did have 40 years ago. Um, and, you know, all those tools and techniques, a lot of them are available for free on my website, trevorgblake.com. So people can just go in and take a look at it. Um, but, it, but you know, even after all that time, I would say my intuition has maybe gone from five to 25. 
whereas the powerful women I've known in my life, they were all, they, were, they started at 100. <laughs> okay. So I would never get to their level. For some reason they do. Yeah. My wife's uh, very similar. She'll yeah. meet somebody, uh, you know, right up front. No. Okay. That's someone you should work with or no, that's someone you don't. Oh, no. And inevitably after time, it, it proves out to be right. So right. I've gone against it once when, when I, I wanted to get a partner. And I said to my wife, I'm bringing this person in. And she said, no, he's bad news. And I got quite indignant. I said, well, how can you say that? You've never met him. You don't know anything about him. I've worked with him for years. And I went against her advice and I brought him in and it was a disaster. <laughs> Absolutely oh, disaster. Unbelievable. So well, we're going to dive into in just a minute, guys, uh, trevorgblake.com and all the amazing tools to learn from a nine-figure exiting entrepreneur who's done it multiple times. But before we do, I just want to ask one final question in terms of building that business. At, you, you've, you've had four exits, is that right? Yes, yes. So how do you go about identifying that, uh, that, that group or that company, whether it's private equity or it's a huge strategic partner who really wants to buy you? What's the process of identifying potential suitors who would be interested in buying your company in your experience? Well, it, it, to answer that, Leo, we have to get into kind of the woo-woo word world for me because I'm, okay. you know, um, so I'm my my education is as, as a physicist, so I'm absolutely, you know, addicted to quantum physics, and so yeah. so for me it's all about energy and 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 so you know we don't have time I think to go into why this works scientifically, but it's going to seek a partner for an exit is the absolute opposite of what you should be doing. What you should be doing is already before you start, imagining that this thing I do, you've got your exit strategy in your head. Okay. You might want it to go to, you might want to keep it and go to a billion dollars. That's fine. That's your thing. But for me, it's to get out at a certain point. And so I imagine selling my, my first company for at least a hundred million before I'd even got the first, before I'd even sold the house to raise the, you know, to get the equity out for the, for the thing. So it sounds new agey and everything, but if you imagine your success before you even start to, to, to go along that journey, then they find you. And you don't have to worry about that. So in every single case of my companies, I've been merrily getting to the point where I think, you know, it's about time the business model changed. I think, you know, it's about time I went off and did something different. And then the phone rings and or I meet somebody at a meeting and they didn't even know I existed. We talk about what's going on and they become fascinated and they do some due diligence and it goes from there. So I've, I've never actually networked anybody. I've never gone out there and advertised that this company is now for sale. Uh, it always just comes naturally because in my imagination, it's already happened. Outstanding. So kind of uh, from that book, Seven Principles of Highly Effective People, begin with the end in mind. And I think that's super important because if you don't start your business with the end in mind and in visualizing that success and that eventual exit, you may not build a business that's exitable. And so that's that's super important. Instead of worrying about who's going to buy it, it's more important to how can I build this really attractive asset that is a business that solves a really big problem. It's a business I'm sure that can run on its own without you having to be there because you've got the right people and the right product and the right systems and processes and, and so forth. And in your business, there's kind of, I think another really important aspect of selling businesses and all the research I've done is, is having a recurring revenue stream, right? That you're not having to go out and always get new customers. They're coming back to you. And probably in some of the pharmaceuticals, I imagine there's there's a truth to that where, where customers are coming back, or at least you have strategic partners who are constantly bringing in new customers for you. How important is kind of that recurring revenue model in building a, a business that, that can be exited? 
Well, all of them, all of them have to have that. All of them. There it is. Them. And, wow. um, and the other thing, I mean, I'm preaching to the choir here, I know, but, you know, so in the, especially in the digital marketing world, but I think it's true for everything. Yeah. You have to make it so easy for the customer to say yes. yes. You got to make it so easy. So they don't have to think about it. That's not easy in pharmaceuticals because of the pricing structures, that, which are insane in some cases. So what, what I did was, was I, I said, okay, we ship free and we sort out the details later. And so, and, and that was it. So if, if, if we identified, if, if a patient has identified the product arrives on the doorstep the next day, and then we figure out the rest. And so the customer, so the, our customer, which in some cases is a parent of a child, in other cases is the patient themselves um, in those businesses. I've done, I, my other businesses weren't pharmaceutical, but uh, three of them were. And so, and so the customer is totally satisfied from the moment that it happens. And then they start to think, well, I don't have insurance, whatever. Inside our packages, you don't have to worry about this. The most you'll ever be charged is $30. We'll sort out the rest. And then I had a vendor who would do all the insurance things and 25% of patients got the drug for free. And, you know, the pricing structure is such that if you have that smart business model at the beginning, it's very profitable, even so, even with making it that easy. But, it, you know, in the digital marketing world, we have to do exactly the same thing because, People expect to be able to try something for a while to see if it works before they pay for it. That's the world we live in now. You know, I mean, I can, I, I have 12 of these blue shirts. You know, I might not have liked the color blue and I would have sent them all back. The, the vendor who sold me the shirts has to take that into consideration and be prepared to make it so easy for me to make a decision. So that to me is critical these days. Always thinking about your, your end customer and how can you make life easier for them and over deliver value and certainly that's something that uh, Amazon, a lot of companies, have real, those who have focused on it, have been able to grow and scale. All right, you guys, um, I was just going through Trevor's website right here while, while he was talking. And it looks like you've got another website um, called 3simplesteps.com. And I want to read you to this, read this to you guys. This is, this is awesome. All right. So it says Trevor G. Blake, author, screenwriter, wizard, serial entrepreneur, a physicist by background who grew up extremely poor and bullied in a medieval village, no less, eventually tapped into the workings of energy, consciousness, and transformation. His first book, Three Simple Steps, is a New York Times bestseller. I'm buying it uh, right now. Uh, teaching how to take control of your destiny and reshape your mind for incre increased creativity, serenity, and achievement. As a serial entrepreneur, listen to this. Trevor is now on his sixth after selling the first three for over $300 million, all while never hiring a single employee or working more than five hours a day. That's a formula I think we'd all like to learn a little bit more of. Tell us a little bit about 3simplesteps.com and why everyone needs to go there right now. Well, you, you can go to 3simplesteps.com or trevorgblake.com. They, they uh, dovetail, obviously. Um, so it's a, it's a program. So, so, you know, the first thing is to get control of your mentality and, and raise your self-confidence because all the studies into what make people successful or not comes down to the same two things. Those who are successful have higher self-confidence and a tendency to set targets. So, so it's all about that. Um, and then I think it's very hard to find success in whatever endeavor you're looking at without going through a transformation process yourself. And so three, three simple steps will take you this way or trevorgblake.com will take you that way. Um, there's a course called Transformation. It's, it's taken me my life to learn how to put that course together, obviously. Um, but it takes you through a life-changing experience for 30 days from, from um, understanding what we're made of, understanding that we're all made from the same stuff, working out, figuring out what energy is, and then how to change the way we play with energy. 
And when we do that, we get control of our outcomes. So instead of me being here a guest on this show and saying, oh yeah, I've had seven successful companies, but I failed in 13 before that. I'm able to say I'm seven for seven because I've followed this way of playing with energy. And that's what, that's what that is all about. That's what three simple steps is all about. So it's, it's a little bit of a little bit bio, biographical, but it's also uh, scientific. And, and the reason I wrote it was because I get turned off by all the new age, you know, positive thinking and believe it. You'll see it when you believe it and all that nonsense. Scientifically, that can't be true because positive thinking is an illusion because our thoughts happen in 500 milliseconds. But what you have control of is recognizing the thoughts you just had and then reacting to them differently. And as entrepreneurs, we have to do that because we second guess and we, you know, we don't have a load of people around us to tell us we're brilliant people. We're, you know, we're putting out fires a lot of the time. And so it's quite easy for your self-confidence to be knocked back down. So if you have tools and techniques that can get you back up, it's, it just catapults your opportunity to see success. Yes, it does. No question. It's it's a lot about who you become throughout the process to actually become a successful entrepreneur. And, and I'm hearing kind of ringing true values and principles. And you can take away, you could take away Trevor's money, you could take away his businesses, but because of the values and principles that he holds and everything he's learned and how he executes his life and how he treats people and how he focuses on a customer, and he'd have it all back within just a few years because of these values and principles. So guys, make sure you go to trevorgblake.com or you can go to 3simplesteps.com. That's a great website, 3simplesteps.com. Great uh, web domain there. And, And how awesome is that? Just that you're able to build these $100 million businesses without having to go hire tons of employees and work, you know, 100 hours every week. Like you actually can do it with the right business model and the right uh, framework. And it sounds like there's a lot of that that they're going to learn in uh, your book, in your challenge. And then you've got different programs as well. Tell us a little bit about uh, how, I mean, there's a lot of entrepreneurs and startups and side hustlers listening to you right now. What's the best way that they can, what are all the different ways they can work with you? I mean, they can read the book, they can go through these programs. Um, how how much uh, more you know, is available for them. Well, if you go to trevorgblake.com, I've got so much free stuff on there. So one of the things you'll get straight away is, is a free download as a short course, no strings attached. I put it together for COVID because there's a tsunami of people moving to work from home, but there was no training on how to work from home. And so it's called the practical magic of the five-hour workday. And it's not that you can only work five hours, it's that you should only work five hours because oh, the brain gets tired after two hours. Yes, it does. And you get diminishing returns. But also what people, it's a surprise to a lot of people is that we're at our most creative when our brain is actually tired. And so if you do two hours of your analytical stuff and your productive stuff, and then you go for a walk in the woods for an hour, that's where the aha moments come in. And that's where you slap yourself on the forehead and say, why didn't I think of this two hours ago? So it's, it's about building a structure and a schedule where you build in, you, you treat the relaxation times and those down times with the same dedication as you would do a, a business meeting. And, um, you know, I learned this the hard way because when I started my first company, I was trained, you know, in the typical traditional hierarchy. And I found I had so much time on my hands because I wasn't spending it in meetings that I would sit in front of a computer waiting for an email <laughs> or I'd wait for the phone to ring. And you get burned out really quickly. And and, you, and then it's hard to grow. So if, so if you, yeah. if you, you know, rather than you have to learn this the same way, I've put it out there for you so you can understand. And that's how the world used to be before the Industrial Revolution. People only work four hours a day. Yeah. Um, and there's a chance to go back and that gives you the balanced life because I, 
I didn't want to be like some of the entrepreneurs I've met who work 14 hour days, but they're on the third marriage and they're taking antidepressants. I, I want to, I, I, I have, have a beautiful life. Um, I would, I've been happily married for 40 years until unfortunately my wife died last year. Um, but I'm so grateful for that amazing 40 years. That's what everybody should be, should be experiencing like this amazing lifestyle and also enjoying what they you know, what they do, which is by building stuff, uh, you know, fixing stuff and building and creating. So I, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think they, they're they supposed to work together, but you have to think in a slightly different way. Trevor, that's amazing. 40 years of marriage and obviously a woman who supported and helped to create an environment for a lot of your success uh, could come together. And uh, we're certainly very sorry to hear about, uh, about her passing, but uh, what an amazing, um, you know, legacy that she's uh, left behind and that you guys have created. And it sounds like now you're in that period of life where how can I help others, you know, to follow this path to success? And, and most people don't know about it, right? They're stuck maybe in a corporate job and there's not a lot of opportunity for growth and income and there are solutions out there. So guys go to, you know, three simplesteps.com, go to trevorgblake.com, take action. And Trevor, give us the last word of, you know, that you want to share with everyone today? I mean, we've talked about a lot of stuff, okay? And the more we talk about it, the more complicated sometimes it seems. I, it's so easy to be successful as an entrepreneur, but you've got to start the right way. And, and the key word is start. You can't figure it out. I, the best piece of business advice I was ever given was by the guy who built Amgen and Icos. That's $130 billion worth of enterprise value. He was a pharmacist, didn't have any skills in finance, didn't have any skills in sales and marketing. And I was having dinner with him one time before I started my first company, and I was waxing lyrical about this new business idea I had, the new structure. He put his hand up. And he was in his 70s then, and I was in my 40s. He put his hand up and he said, Trevor, you don't know what business you're in until you get in the business. And then he cursed, just start. <laughs> <laughs> just bleeping start just bleeping start and i didn't really understand the advice until i did start and then i realized i thought i was going in this direction and suddenly an opportunity shows up which i never would have known about and now i'm going in this direction so so you can't figure it out just start amen well guys uh, everybody take action get started you know listen to this podcast again take notes if you have other you know, friends, family, partners who are in a similar situation looking for options and opportunities and the right way to think to create success in your life as an entrepreneur, as a startup, as a side hustler, then share this podcast, you know, give us, give, give it five-star reviews because of Trevor and the amazing value that he delivered today. And above all, take action, get started today. And Trevor, thank you so much for being a guest on the Seven Figures Club podcast. My total pleasure, Leo. Thanks for the question. Are you looking for more seven-figure secrets, content, or even how you can launch your own recession-proof business? Then check out sevenfigures.com. That's the digit seven, F-I-G-U-R-E-S.com, where we share more videos, stories, strategies, funding solutions, entrepreneurial education, and even the secret business type that's recession-proof. Thank you for listening, and if you're finding value in our podcast, please give us a five-star and invite others to join the club.